Hello, you're listening to a spoiler-filled film conversation. Hooray! Russian man, gotta catch them all. Oh, God. I wanna be the very best at telling the same story. I wanna tell the correct version and you will see which rip is right. <laughs> rip is right. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, it's a bleak, it's a bleak topic. <laughs> it is. I was. I didn't realise <laughs> that that's what it was about. Rashomon, vice. Time to do Rashomon. Rashomon. How do you say? Rashomon. Rashomon. <laughs> Take me to a land that I understand. Yeah, uh, Rashomon. I'm gonna go with. Uh, that's what we're doing this week on Spoilerfield Film Conversation. Hooray! I am Richard. With me to tell the tale, but <laughs> in another way. The, the film tells the tale, and now we're going to tell that tale again. Is uh, Abby? I'm not a hundred percent sure I understood what you just said. Hi. That's fair enough. I just mean, you know, it's a bit much for people to make a podcast talking about a story that tells the same story a few times. I mean, just how many times? So Abby's going to give our our female version. And uh, we also have a liar to tell us bullshit version. That's Jamie. No, 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 it's you. What? He <laughs> <laughs> was a bullshit house. It's just you. <laughs> I am, I am going to be giving the real, real truth at the end. I'll be like, I kept a secret and this is how it actually was. And I think it's the, the problem people have with you often is you're too real. Too real. <laughs> That's people say that to me and then I disappear in a puff of smoke. <laughs> proving them absolutely wrong. It wasn't there all along. Uh, and we would have uh, Anthony, but he's dead, and we're going to contact him <laughs> via medium to get his take on Rashomon. By a genuinely spooky-looking medium. Ooh, and then it'll be like a weird voice, like he's talk- being, like she's talking through a pipe. <laughs> Look at it, it's like a bloke's <laughs> voice through through a drain pipe. So yeah, I think it's demon sound. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, that's the, that's us, it's Abby, Jamie, and Rich. That's who we are. And we're going to talk about a well-regarded piece of cinema. I mean, what are we? Why, Jamie, are we doing a classic piece of fifty uh, cinema that people hold in high regard? The only debate really is, uh, uh, is you know, is how good is it? Is the question people seem to ask. <laughs> Uh, why are we doing a good film, Jamie? It's your fault. What's that about? Well, I mean, one, we've done a bunch of bad ones recently. So why change? Like... Why change things? <laughs> um, so I wait. I haven't even introduced the film yet. You asked me if You're I had right. the details up. Just steamrolled over me. Look, I'm still warming up. We're only three hundred and something odd podcasting. Like, still <laughs> we'll used to the format. <laughs> yeah. We'll get it right one. I'm just, okay, just in case people get it confused with other films like Rushmore or Rush or, I don't even, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing else called Rushman, is there? No, but credit where it's due, uh, Rushman is from 1950, uh, directed by Akira Kurosawa, uh, written by, uh, apologies in advance, uh, Rian, Rianosuke Akutagawa, Akira Kurosawa, and Shinobu Hashimoto. 
Uh, it stars Toshiro Mifune, Machiko Kyo, Masayuki Mori, Takashi Shimura, Minoru Chiaki, Kichijiro Ueda, Noriko Homa, and Daisuke Kato. Uh, the, the, just from the IMDb summary, because we're going to get into it and it's it's kind of bleak more than I thought it would be. Uh, the rape of the the rape of a bride and the murder of her samurai husband are recalled from the perspectives of a bandit, the bride, the samurai's ghost, and a woodcutter. It's just like it's like a pub joke, isn't it? One of those. So a bride, a woodcutter, a ghost, <laughs> walking into a pub. And Let me tell rape. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the says, yeah. "Why the long face?" <laughs> so I picked this because. I a lot of the time I use this podcast as an excuse to just watch films that I've never seen but have been either very influential or referenced a lot in other things that I've either you know movies, TV episodes, uh, games, music, whatever. This this is one of those. So um, is there a Simpsons episode about this or um, is there an Exorcist connection? What are we saying? Surprisingly, no. Is it one of the uh, mysteries? Managed to fit in a 1950 Japanese film to The Exorcist. Um, the there's a, I mean, there's a bunch of different TV shows that have at least one episode where a thing has happened and you hear the story from multiple perspectives. Um, yeah, I think what's it called? Like the the Rashomon not syndrome effect. Effect, right. So the Rashomon effect um, is the telling of a story from multiple yeah. perspectives. And uh, the the example that comes to mind for me specifically is an episode of The X-Files where uh, it's been ages since I did my like big X-Files watch through, but it's the one with uh, Luke Wilson in it. as a He's like a small town sheriff and it's about vampires or something, but it, the they go over what happened from three different characters' perspectives, and one of them is Scully's, and one of them is Mulder. Um, and in their different versions, she fancies the sheriff. So in, in her version, Luke Wilson is this, like, dashing, handsome, small-town sheriff. And then in Mulder's version, because Mulder's jealous that she fancies... She, he thinks that she fancies the sheriff. He's like a buck-tooth, hillbilly, mm. hick uh, mm. moron. I um, that one. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like there's another one that does a similar thing. I don't know if it's maybe Jose Chung's from Outer Space, but anyway, um, yeah, it's just really influ- influential. Also, like a lot of films like pick these days, it'll depend on a particular video game I happen to be playing. And I and like with uh, the Hidden Fortress, I was playing Ghost of Tsushima at the time and was like, oh, samurai films. And this time, I've been playing Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. And I went, oh, samurai films. <laughs> so I went back to the well. Um, with, And I picked this one because, A, it's an hour and 27 minutes, which is a, is a is always something I look for in a film these days. It's <laughs> got a fairly short run time. But also, I like... I, I And I, I said this before. I like slightly odd formats for storytelling like i like bottle episodes in tv shows where it's like two or three of the main characters in a single location in real time for an episode or whatever like this is kind of one of those things like it's it's not that exact format but i like that it's 
all focused on this one thing and it's doing it differently. Mm. It's all in a very small location. Like I just, it's, it's, it seemed like of the ones I was looking at, this one is my kind of thing. And it turns out it was, although I did not realize quite how dark it was. It's quite a melodramatic film as well. So it, it feels like some kind of, uh, Japanese Shakespearean tale. So it's, it's kind of, it, it makes it, yeah. it makes what's a dark topic have some levity and uh, over I, the top uh, drama. I was thinking, I was thinking as I was watching it because I know Kurosawa did go on to make is it Throne of Blood, which yeah. is his version. He's, of he was Macbeth. a big Shakespeare fan. You can see, in, yeah, even the stuff that is only influenced by the Bard. You can see there's an influence there anyway from old Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah, this definitely, this definitely has that kind of feel to it. I don't know. Like I think there's there's different like uh, yeah the 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 story of this film is from a tale like an older tale but I think that's just referring to like the actual story of the what happened I think I don't know where breaking it out into different interpretations comes from but um, the fact that this film was credited as being very influential as well like I always like seeking those out because I like. I don't know. I, I like breaking down the core components of all the, the pop culture stuff that I like and seeing where like pe- different creators pulled bits from. Hmm. Okay, so, you know, uh, a loftier, thoughtful film this time. Yeah, I feel, I'm, I'm feeling very film criticy on this one. Hmm. <laughs> it's weird. I need to get a bit stupider as we go. I'll be alright. Uh, Abby. I'm going to hit myself in the head with a hammer. You carry on. <laughs> Uh, Abby, you... That's not, not you. Not you. you. Uh, yeah! You. Um, Abby, what were you expecting from Rashomon? Rashomon, like I should say. I'd seen it before, but all I could really remember was that it rained a lot, and it felt very, like... We resonated a lot the first time with just being stuck in a shelter in the rain for a couple of hours. There's, there's, As... a, definite, there's a definite waiting for Godot feel to it. Like, oh, these could just be some people in a rainy uh, I don't know if it's abandoned town, but like a, a busted ass gate to a city. And I, uh, there being I think depressed, for, waiting. For, for three people who grew up in Wales as well, that's generally just very relatable. <laughs> just sheltering somewhere from very heavy rain for a long time. It's just moping and telling stories <laughs> and kicking a yeah. rock and being like fucking... Where's the bus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what? Um, where do you stand on Kurosawa? Is he uh, a rightful legend of cinema, or can you leave or take him, give or take him, or whatever the phrase is? He is an excellent filmmaker, but I, I have noticed as we've watched more of his work that he is a bit of a Debbie Downer at the same time. <laughs> Well, he's got, I would say, three types of movies, especially as far as the BFI are concerned, which is how they categorise them into chunks. There's the samurai movies, which most people agree are quite fun, which this is one of, I suppose. Then there's the crime movies, ooh, thrilling. And then there's the, oh, someone's a tramp and and or dying of cancer movies. (laughs) So there's a lot of, like, introspective, sad, uh, lower-class uh, you know, just poor people and their horrible lives and their sad daydreams and their plight. So, yeah, there's definitely you know, you, you're talking about three types of like violence, 
modern crime, violence, and sadness, and then actual despair. So, you know, there's not many, you know, uh, happy, fun time Kurosawa movies. But, you know, Seven Samurai is a hero story, even if a lot of them fucking die. But um, you're right, Abby. He is, uh, he is interested in stories that are, um, I don't know, like, that don't shy away from darker topics. Hmm. So not, you know, you you up for it, but you know, aware that this could be fucking uh, depressing. Yes, although that seems to be a thing that I've had to come to terms with with almost all directors across the board in the last ten it's years. Artists generally. <laughs> well, not everything can be the fucking Care Bears, can it? Or Barney the fucking dinosaur. No, I bet there's some I... darkness under the surface. I was given hope by Thor Ragnarok that things could be fun again, but they can't. It's not allowed. <laughs> you, you, you know, you either start off sad or you're innocent until one day you, you, it all gets found out. One day there's going to be a Jimmy Savile-style documentary about Barney the Dinosaur and how he was oh. actually up to some mischievous, awful things. <laughs> anyway, back to the topic we're supposed to be discussing. I had seen Rashomon before, earlier on. Like, I've watched quite a lot of Kurosawa now. I I sort of uh, bought myself a couple of box sets of the BFI's collections of his shit and was working my way from the popular stuff I'd gotten round to to the, what is this then? Ones where you go, oh, fucking, not another one about sad tramps dying in the dirt. Um. So yeah, I've got. I know I'm fairly aware of the, the Kurosawa spectrum, and uh, if he isn't making a film you absolutely love, it's they're still usually pretty great. He uh, he's fucking he's a good one. I will say probably top ten directors ever. Still like even by modern standards, and I think he just has a way of filming things, and he knows what's good, and he's got a really good group of actors that he has made uh, make many different things, and that you know all the usual players uh, from other films in this one. So I was certainly ready. I couldn't remember it very well like Abby said. I remembered it raining and I remember there being the woods and, uh, you know, sword fights and that. But I couldn't quite remember what story they were retelling several times. So it bared repeating again and, and again and again. Um, yeah, I was, just, I was like, oh, what? I didn't I didn't remember loving it. So I was like, maybe it wasn't quite up there. So I was ready to be like, I don't know. I was ready to be mildly disappointed. <laughs> but we'll see. Anyway. Uh, yeah, which, oh, actually, Jamie, what... Uh, have you seen... You've not seen loads of Kurosawa, have you? What, what kind of things have you seen? Um, I think it may only be The Hidden Fortress. Is the other one? You haven't even seen Seven Samurai. I have not seen Seven Samurai. Oh, that's worth a look. Like <laughs> it's one of those ones again. Like I almost feel like I know all the beats of it because it's been like pastiched and parodied and referenced in so many other things that I've seen that I could watch it and go, "Oh yeah, okay, I see where." Like I know exactly what's happening. Yeah, well, there's a couple of westerns that if you put Japanese yeah. men in samurai outfits and. Turn it black and white. You go. Oh, there's Max I mean, and, and uh, I, the, 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 literally, uh, Sergio Leone had to 
Uh, I think now, like Kurosawa is a writer on uh, a fistful of dollars because it is uh, the same story. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's a few um, like later westerns in like once when Japanese cinema because this was the this is one of the films that's like credited. I think this might be like the one that was like the one that brought like Japanese cinema to Western audiences properly. Um, and after that had happened, there were a lot of Westerns that like took stories from the kind of subsequent films and a lot of Kurosawa's films specifically and turned them into um, like cowboy versions of the same story. And also, like we said, with the Hidden Fortress, that led to Star Wars. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, nerdy white directors uh, have a little peep and then going, oh, that's great. I'll do that. But my own way, I'll Americanize this for you. Um, also, this is this has surprisingly few remakes. I guess it's, like it's I, the sort of I, story that uh, everyone's like, oh, do you know what I want to hear? The story of a rape and a murder <laughs> and how many ways that could have gone. I think also, the the reason this doesn't count, well, maybe it has been, we just don't know, but this story, it's a, it's a bit more of like an old-fashioned, like... It's kind of like a a moral or a <clears throat> a moral story or a one of those was that that prick who writes fucking stories about foxes and birds and they you fucking learn that Aesop's fables. It's got a kind of yes. <laughs> what do we try? We, a little let's like learn. That you just things. casually refer to him as a prick. Yeah, <laughs> he's a prick though, and he was this so, you know. A bird asked a fox to come for a drink, and it had a really long glass, and then the fox had a really shallow glass, and turns out your fucking dick just put water in the right receptacle, and why isn't the fox eating the bird? And Fuck off, Aesop, you old prick. <laughs> just say what you mean. <laughs> Don't trust a bastard. Those are the sort of messages you'd learn from Aesop. Anyway, it's not quite like an Aesop's fable, in that they're all humans, and it is... It's, I don't know, what else is it like? Like a kind of... Fucking Jeremy Kyle or something, isn't it? Like getting all the punters on to say what happened, and then that is probably the most unexpected part of this entire conversation. At this, at, like, I don't think anything you say after that is going to surprise me in bringing up Jeremy Kyle. No, no, no. We're talking like about Rashomon. Rashomon, they come on and they're like, tell different versions of the same story. You get the fucking prick wife beater. Asshole, and he tells his version where he's the fucking king, and then you get the wife on, and she's got a completely different take. And then you get the brother-in-law someone was cheating on with, and they're like, actually, and then they, if I wouldn't put it past him to have someone talk to a fucking medium and talk to find out what a ghost said or something, but it does feel like one. It's like a, it's a bit Jerry Springer, isn't it? It's a bit you know shitty old reality, air your laundry, air your dirty laundry show, isn't it? Abby, what do you think? Is it like one of those? Terrible shows about people, you know, bringing their conflicts to the audience. I think, I think I'd sooner put it towards Judge Judy than Jay Springer. You're right. That's the obvious thing, isn't it? It's like literally about a court case as well. So yeah, you're right. But and also, you know, Judge Judy is a complete toss. <laughs> so um, this story is dealing with the world of like. Bullshit and uh, inconsistencies as well. Oh, I'm just saying. It's, it's like a lot of stuff, right? Uh, what does <laughs> happen? We got 
the start is uh, about, I guess, discovering a murder, right? There's two chaps. Is it? Is there two? There yeah, two. I would cut her and a priest are the ones who discover a body? Like... No. No. Go on, then. No. Oh, the okay. woodcutter discovers the body on his own. Yeah. He ties up with the priest later because they were both at the court. Oh, one of them just saw the couple involved. Yeah, the priest saw the couple walk by, and then the woodcutter is the one who actually found the body. Um, first indication that this film was going to be darker than I thought was the guy's... Uh, whenever he found the body, the... Um, rigor mortis ridden hands <laughs> like mm. framing the shot of him I was like oh that's cool and grim and I didn't realise it was going to be so dark mm. well it, it the, 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 the start is the is the other bandit finding the two of them in like sheltering from the rain what, what, was, like, a, was he a bandit? I thought he was just some poor bloke yeah I thought I, he was just a bit of a knob I think he's a I mean he talks about uh Mufune's character. Uh, oh, he said he He said he. Um, oh, Tajumaru. Um, no, he said he. He never really like. Go, like he never gives much detail on himself. No. Um, but he says uh, at one point he's they they're talking about Mufune and they say that even among bandits he's he's a known woman. Oh, he's like an infamous. He's kind of like a crazy yeah. brother type. So I I took from that that like. Oh, is this maybe this guy is also a bandit, or at least no, I, like I, I, I think he hangs around with him at, at times. I don't think he's a bandit because he, although he does make off with, uh, he does rob a child. <laughs> he robs a literally, you know, he literally robs a baby. If he'd have had some candy, <laughs> he'd have taken that too. But he took a kimono that covered a small baby that was orphaned. Um, so he's a he's a poor lad because he's all scruffy and stuff, and he comes across. Uh, at a fucked up, cool looking, fucked up uh, city gate that's kind of, I don't know, it looks like bombed out or something. Which seems, or it's damaged anyway. It's the damaged city gate of uh, apparently Rashomon. Rash, sorry, apparently of Rashomon. I don't know the significance of um, the place or what it is. Does anyone know anything about it? Or is it I, just... I think Rashomon is like it, it translates to. Something like main gate or city gate or something like that. Okay, right. Well, they're they're at a, they're at a, uh, they're taking shelter at a big city gate, I guess. And uh, there's a mopey looking priest and uh, introspective, sad looking fucking uh, woodcutter, right, or lumberjack or something. Yeah, woodcutter. I think he's. Yeah, and so this the thing that bugged me a little bit was. The, they say, oh, you fucking, you wait till you hear this story. This is the, this fucking story. Unbelievable. Fucking hell. What a story. And you're like, I don't know, film, if you should start off by saying how fucking good you're going to be. <laughs> so it sets the expectations way fucking high. And you're like, you're not going to believe this, right? A, a fucking bandit raped a woman and killed a guy. And different people said different things. And you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's it. I'll be nicking this baby's clothes and fuck <laughs> it off. I mean, I'd kind of with the the poor guy here. I'm like, I don't know how good the story was, guys, but thanks for killing some time in the rain. I think the the idea is it was it was awful for them, but for <laughs> him because he's a scummy nobody. He's like whatever. I've seen worse. <laughs> so that's a, that's a, this is my character then. I don't have a version of the story <laughs> to tell. I am the prick who's like it's not that bad. Shut up. 
I've killed and raped worse in my time. Anyway, uh, yeah. So it, it is the it's the retelling of a court case, I guess. Um, about a bandit who rapes and kills a guy, or does he? No, <laughs> he rapes the wife of the guy. He rapes he rapes a woman and kills the husband, or does he? Yeah. There we go. And he, the interesting thing I think is he admits to it. So, like, it isn't so, one of those. A man is trying to. It's not a man trying to get off. It's a guy. Well, you know, he got off already, but he doesn't. He's not wanting to lie about murdering well, anyone or raping anyone. He just wants to come off well in the story, I guess. And is kind of a maniacal psychopath. Yeah, I I want to talk about Buffone in this film. So, um, I think generally people like especially people like our demographic who grew up with things influenced by samurai movies and and if you like if you're our age and you haven't seen all of these films but you know of them when you think of like a samurai in a movie you know like stoic hero samurai uh mifune is kind of the person you think of because of things like uh hidden fortress or uh, so all of the Kurosawa Samurai yeah, movies, yeah, him. yeah. There was weird. There was um, weird about that. You you are right that that it, he is the because he's the most he's the loudest and most interesting character within these stories that uh, Kurosawa yeah. has made as well. He's such a charismatic actor. The thing is though, these are quite rep- these are these are the character the way he plays samurais is nothing like how samurais were made. They were very honourable. I mean, you know, there's not obviously a lot of different samurais through hundreds of years, but samurais weren't like this. He he plays them like this rogue. He's your kind of uh, you know despicable, poor, shameful samurai or, or ronin or whatever. Like he is not a very good representative of what ma- the majority of these. Uh, that, types of people would have been. It's kind of weird. That's kind of what I mean, though. Like he's the he's the pop culture idea of, uh, you know, he's he's like Clint Eastwood with the man with no name, obviously, because yeah. that's like where that more, came from. Like most cowboys um, will actually keep their guns holstered and actually make cows go across land. They won't <laughs> yeah. get into weird shootouts in towns and manipulate the townspeople. And so, yeah, I mean, he's a filmic samurai and a, a you know a really charismatic. Um, actor anyway so but yeah so that's how i you know imagine him so in this movie he is wildly different to how i've like always thought of him i was really like taken aback by his performance in this as this just fucking absolute cackling lunatic it was very over the top it was but like, and it was like, it was fun to watch. Mm. But I also like the fact that he's just irredeemable. Like he's not, you know, there's no real like turn or anything for his character. He's just a fucking awful, like piece mm. of shit. Who, uh, and yeah, it's, it's like the way he like tells the story of like, yeah, uh, that he that he raped her, and then he cro- that she begged him to fight her husband because uh, she couldn't, like, she's not, as a woman, she can't make the decision for herself. They have to, they have to fight it out and they have this, like, proper sword fight and then he bests him and wins and he's like, but he, I, he impressed me 
because we crossed swords 23 times and no one's ever crossed swords with me more than 20. And all this, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just his fucking laugh and kicking his legs and, like, making his weird hissing noise at the, the guy who's caught him. Like, he's so, like, funny at times and then at other times, like, actually a bit frightening. He also, I liked his, like, in that, that first sequence with the sword fighting, how, like, messy and, like, animalistic he was in the way he fought versus the samurai who was trying to be you know like measured you know f- like fighting properly with the sword and Mufuna's like jumping around and then will st- pretend that he's lost interest and then turn around and like scream to try and like catch the guy off guard it was, re- it was all really like just kind of fascinating to watch because of how unpredictable it was yeah uh, Abby, h- how do you find uh, Mufuni as an actor? Obviously, Kurosawa was a big fan of him till they fell out. Uh, is he someone you find compelling on screen, or was this a weird role for him in this case? Or was it, you know, what was your take on him? I can now was a lot of questions in one there. Well, <laughs> where was he born? <laughs> how do you feel? Speak I, up. I find him very charismatic. And he really, like, it. some guys just look like themselves, no matter what. But with a slightly different haircut, slightly different facial hair, he looks really different in different stuff he's made. Well, in, in like, obviously, this is a period piece. In the 1950s, when he's clean-shaven and just has normal short guy hair, you're like, huh? I mean, who's this yeah. handsome devil? Yeah, he he's he's quite a transformative actor actually, and a lot like some of his role, a lot of his roles, he does look like this bedraggled, uh, you know, mean guy who's a bit weird, but uh, you know he 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 has got uh, a lot of different types of roles in him. Like uh, I've seen him do a lot of different things, and he, he's right, he's quite a, quite a good actor. He's very he's capable of subtlety as well as this manic shit there's that's well that's the thing is the subtlety is there in this film too like most of it is him you know cackling and screaming jumping around but there are a lot of moments as well where he just has all of these little facial tics and expressions like he really puts a lot of thought into this character who is completely reprehensible i love the detail work of this performance as well like there was times when the woman was speaking up to him in one of the versions of the story. He looked a little bit, like, scared because he's not used mm. to being shouted at by a girl. Yeah. And stuff like that. Uh, it, it was so nuanced and detailed. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a show stealer in most of the pieces because he's particularly animated, usually. Like, Sam Samurai, he's this different to all the other samurai in the story. And he... When a normal actor would do one step, Mufuni does about six or seven, and they, he's all about the place and full of energy, and it bursts out of him from time to time. And so uh, it was probably for the best that in this film they actually had to tie him down for the court case. He's <laughs> tied up for security purposes in this... Uh, it's a court that's just... we don't. It's weird, right? It kind of feels like a modern thing. But we hear him answering questions, but we don't hear the questions. We just I, yeah. see him kneeling in the sand. Everyone kneels in the sand to, in the court case, and we see a couple of like the farmer or who, uh, no, the woodcutter or whoever in the background occasionally, and, and the priest, other witnesses yeah. and things. Well, that was that was one of the things that I was going to bring up is how, and again, obviously, this, this is not fucking news to anyone listening to this who knows the history of this film, but like 
it's it is it's got that kind of you know citizen kane thing going on where like you hear it's influential but you don't really appreciate that until you see it and you realize how much stuff from it you've seen in other things like all of the considering it came out in 1950 all of the testimony scenes where the characters are just talking to you the audience you don't hear the questions that the court is asking them like it's all it's done in a very it, so, in a way that trusts the audience. It's a device that stand-ups use a lot as well. It's that you you imply the questions that they're being asked, and it it works well for comedy and sketches and things if you do it that way. But it is, I mean, it is a it's a common thing that happens. But it does feel like a, let's not add more characters here. Let's le- let the performers that are telling oh, the yeah, and also do the work. Don't necessarily like don't fill in the gaps for the audience either. Like just assume that the audience is going to be able to follow it and yeah. let them. That's good. It's a good move. Um, the other detail I like from uh, so the the bandit who has who was found like he was he's surrounded by arrows. He and he not been struck and he just he'd become thirsty or something and had passed out or what was it, Abby? Do you remember? He, no, he surmised he'd drunk um, contaminated water. Because ah. he had to shit suddenly. <laughs> That's uh, basically what he says. He had to get off his horse and crouch in the woods. And I was like, oh, it's a film from 1950 and they're actually talking about having to suddenly shit. <laughs> so that's, how, that's what you meant by Gus really dying. Ahead of its time. Yeah. <laughs> it goes to all kinds of places like diarrhea and passing out from the shit. <laughs> anyway, he's, he's been caught and they uh, they have found the woman who was hiding somewhere and uh, you know, have come across the witnesses, and they want to, you know, get to the bottom of this story. And uh, in the bandit's version of events, he obviously bigs himself up. He comes across like a prick, even in his own story. He's not, like I say, he's not trying to hide the fact that he's a rapist and a murderer. And he articulates that he's fucking. Oh, I knew I had to fucking have her. It's like, all right, mate. Uh, so it, sexy it's... pride, and I was like, fuck yeah. I'm gonna have to... <laughs> I don't want to kill this guy. Was the only concession he made. But also, yeah. in his version of raping this woman, we see that she eventually gets into it. And she sort of, yeah, sort of goes from being fighting him off to, like, uh, clutching his back or whatever. Yeah, like, you can... Oh, I, I like... Yeah, I like little details like that in the the different tellings of the story. Like, stuff that they don't necessarily say when they're telling it. It's just in the visual representation. If you're playing along at home and trying to go, well, which one of these stories has the most truth in it or which one's correct? I was very much like, well, this is not happening. (laughs) Like, (laughs) incorrect. This didn't, this this shit didn't go down this way. (laughs) Into it. I mean, I I think in many ways you hear all the versions of the story and it, the the one you believe the most sort of speaks as to what your character is. So I was, I was having the last story, which uh, we'll get to, but like, I think it was mainly because it was the most pessimistic and, and uh, it sort of, it took any allure of the versions or it took all of the, the people who told the story who were involved with it, they were biased and trying to, were telling the story their way. And then the last story was just like, actually it was a bit crapper than everyone said. Yeah, and everyone involved in that last version is bad. Like, even yeah. the woman is is doing something bad, and 
also what makes me believe that that is the true version is how shit the sword fight is. Uh, is the most, yeah. I think I said the most realistic sword fight I maybe have ever seen in a film. It, it was. The last uh, version is, is great because it's the flailing and not wanting to fight. It's very... <laughs> yeah, when people fight in reality, when you actually see people fight in real life, they don't know how much they should try or what, what technique to use. It's never like cool in any way. It's never some Bruce Lee fight. It's always flailing, a lot more flailing and screaming, and not knowing what you're, not looking like you know what you're doing, and then sort of you fail at someone, and the one someone might get the upper hand. Um, so you know, but I think if we select that as oh, that was the good the story to go with. That sort of suggests your look outlook on life that things are generally more disappointing and lame. But then if you pick this version, maybe you're like a proto maybe you're like a feminist, you're like, yeah, fucking men. They are like that, aren't they? Or maybe or maybe you're an incel and you think women get into rape. But the first the bandits <laughs> version is very much like, yeah, men are pricks and the poor bloody woman, eh? Fucking hell. <laughs> like so, you know, I think you could pick any version and it says a little bit about what you think is more likely to be true. I don't know if that's... I think that could be a part of the point of the film is, to, you know, a psychological test as to what, where your sympathies lie or your truthometer. Um, I would... I would have been really interested and I wonder if there is somewhere... I, I didn't think to, like, search for it before doing this, but I'd be really interested to know what Western audiences' response... Like, not like critics, because they loved it, because, you know, of course they did. But, um, like, just general audiences, like, what the response was. Oh, I needed like, more explosions and more rape, that's what I think. <laughs> I mean, comedy. first of all, they would have said, subtitles, I'm not fucking reading a film. Dub that shit, um, colour it in. <laughs> colour it in and dub it. Get the le- less silly hats, there's a very silly hat on the bandit, and a, a very silly hat on the woodcutter as well, a little tidy bobbly hat. Yeah, I like the way our reaction is opposite. Which is like more silly hats. Bring them to me. <laughs> and Silly, sillier hats, please. The baby was uh, in a hat as well. Oh, that... okay. I felt bad for the baby. One because it had been abandoned, and two because of the fucking haircut the, the parents had given it. Mm-hmm. They made it look like a little pineapple. <laughs> it was the hairiest baby I'd seen. Yeah, I've never. I... It was weird that it had such long hair on the top of its head, but also, like, around. did they shave around it? How did they do that? There's a lot of silly haircuts back in old uh, feudal Japan. To be fair, most old olden times places have <laughs> one form of silly haircut or another. I mean, you only have to go back as far as the 90s to have an abundance of silly haircuts, <laughs> so all of time has silly haircuts, I think. Um... Anyway, Abby, what happens in the second version of the story? Who tells that, and what's the tone it takes? Let me think. Yeah, because they talk to the woodcutter. They talk to the priest, but he says he only saw him on the road. Then they talk to the fighter. Then they talk to the woman herself. The woman's next, yeah. Yeah, she's the second version. And how would you say... That one differs in tone. Also, cool eyebrows, side note. She I repaints them on a treat. <laughs> Not as cool as the, the medium's eyebrows, which are drawn up her head and at jaunty angles. Fair, 
fair play to the woman playing this role to be able to emote through those eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. So they really hobbled her with that makeup choice. It was the same in Throne of Blood. She's uh, the version of Lady Macbeth, I think. Mm. And she has levitating caterpillar eyebrows as such as the style <laughs> of the town. And it's very like, um... <laughs> I mean, they implicitly don't trust you because your eyebrows are too high, but... <laughs> can't get past it. Anyway, sorry, Abby. She uh, told the story from the perspective of... Do you remember? I don't have notes I remember now, so sorry. But you're the spot. Yeah, you should be able to I remember don't, a little bit. I don't remember how hers differed that much. I'm pretty sure there was some kind of visual conceit I liked. Though, I think it was... Her one where there was like a close-up or like a light and shadow thing. Well, I guess because it's from a different person's perspective, there's a more close-ups on her more so. Well, the, I think the big difference in her version is she's the one who killed the samurai. Yeah. Because he keeps like he. This is a this is an aspect of the film that because um you know I've talked a little bit about it was darker than I expected, but I think this is the. This is a recurring thing that comes up in a in I think her version of the story and uh, the last version I think like the true the the true or the real version, um, but like yeah the whole like the rape aspect of it is is dark enough but I think what really makes it particularly like disturbing in this film is the like cultural response that certain characters have to her after she's been raped because in one in her version of the story her husband just like glares at her with this like disgusted look of like how how could you get raped like <laughs> and you? then in <laughs> yeah it's totally not my fault for getting bamboozled and uh, <laughs> tied up and you know i'm not maybe a samurai but i'm completely useless but it's all on you love Oh yeah, that's it, isn't it? That's the, in the band in uh, Mufune's version of the story. He did it by telling the samurai that he'd buried some treasure somewhere. And follow well, me, and the samurai was like, "Okay, no, <laughs> okay, sure, sure, sure that." What was the pl- The thing was, I found a pile of swords and mirrors or something. Yeah. Was it mirrors? Yeah, look as at well? this cool sword. I found a bunch of them. But um, go look yeah. at my big pile of ancient swords, and it's like, what? Are you going to go for this? Um, It's almost like he agreed, although I sort of would interpret it as the samurai being like, like, this guy seems like a nut job, I better placate him and see where this goes. And then, then, you know, I don't know. um, Should have known better, though. And then uh, I think in one of the other versions after this, that idea comes up again, but the husband actually, like, says it. Like, he he calls her a whore for being, now, now now you've been with two men, what do I want with a whore like you, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, bar, guys. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, be, it's, it it happened in front of you. You should kind of know. But yeah, that old idea of like, it, it doesn't Classic misogyny. Yeah. <laughs> Vintage really ancient school. misogyny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, aged. I, I, yeah. I think it is interesting that in, in many of the versions... It is about the woman's virtue and and like the sullied nature of her and yeah. It, it, there's always the presumption that um, I guess it's because the idea is the woman's man's property. And yeah, so... well, yeah, that that comes up as well because 
um, that's what she says in the Bandits version of the story, is that, like, it's not for me to decide, you two have to fight. And then I think in one of the, uh, in the husband's version, he says something similar, and then in the in the true version, at the end, if it's, the yeah, it's her, like, she's basically, like, sick of her husband. Like, there's some history there that we don't get, but, like, she's had enough of him. And when the bandit came along, she was like, well, this is a bit of excitement. Maybe he maybe he will, like, take me and it'll be all, like, interesting and I can finally get away from my husband. But then he ends up, like, like after he's done the deed, he's, like, in love with her and is, like, pleading with her to to go. And she's like, oh, God, him is, he's a fucking simp as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there's a common... Uh, there's a common thread through these ancient stories of... Yeah, men are dickheads and treat women like property and uh, women as very second-class citizens. Uh, but also, almost almost frustratingly, women are also portrayed as fucking tricky bitches who are up to something and are always weaseling and trying to outsmart each other, uh, outsmart men. And, you know, yeah. like, there's... you Either way, women are portrayed either pathetically, like... I got all upset with my husband scowled at me so much I became hysterical and then wore myself out and fell on him. (laughs) (laughs) Killed him accidentally through sheer uh, frustration with how stoically he hated me. (laughs) Or whatever. And and or they're like horrible manipulative people who've got men's numbers. So there's there's not really any version of of these stories where women come out going, Oh, at least they're treated reasonably in that version. I think that's it's one of the things that works really well once it does get to that final version of the story is that in all three of these, everyone plays slightly different versions of who they are, but they're all very like arch, like they're much bigger. And then in the very last one, they're all just terrible people. <laughs> hmm. So we had the bandit who's fucking horrible, but you know, honourable and tough, and gave the in, murder yeah, victim in, some credit. And in his version, yes. <laughs> in my version, I'm fucking horrible, but kind of cool, and I, you know, it was swashbuckling and fun. In the woman's version, I think we're saying it was uh, she was hysterical and hurt by her husband's uh, response to response what happened. To her. And it was all a big, horrible thing, and I passed out, and I'm, I'm also useless because I accidentally kill people. <laughs> so, you know, um, that's not fun. She does say she tried to kill herself a couple of times, too, and didn't succeed. Couldn't, could accidentally kill her husband, but couldn't successfully kill herself, and then ran away. That's <laughs> awful. I mean, do you, do you find it frustrating when particularly period dramas of this nature, they have to have a, a historical context that involves women are either idiots or bitches. Well, in this particular case, it's a little bit more complicated again, because it's not only the 1950s, it's also in Japan, which has... It, a well, very... it's in Japan in the past. It's not, you know, it's not... Yeah, it's in the 50s and it's in the past in Japan. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's 50s men telling a story about <laughs> men of the past. Sorry, Abby, go on. Not to so, mansplain history to you. <laughs> <laughs> so in that way, it's sort of like 
I just accept whatever they put when it's like, okay, this is another country's period drama made in the 50s. Just going to take this on face value <laughs> for what it is. That's but yeah, it can be frustrating. It's not so much that, like, I don't want no women to be portrayed like that. I just want there to be, like, a a spectrum of women, a palette of mm. women. Some doing different kinds. Some could be feckless idiots. Some can be brain scientists. Brain scientists. <laughs> oh. the, me- the medium's a woman. She seems pretty competent. <laughs> Competently uh, doing a cool voice and uh, <laughs> theatrical performance. Yeah, I mean, Kurosawa isn't... He's a man of the 50s. He's been accused of uh, misogyny uh, in his films a little. But actually, I think he has some quite diverse and strong characters in a lot of his other films as well. Like, there's a film, uh, Redbeard, that's where Mifune is a, a doctor. And there's lots of little anecdotes. And so in that, there's nurses and patients. And you get a broader range of the sort of characters that can be used in storytelling. And I, I think this one has two female characters to the... You know, to the you know several men, but uh, at least it wants you to think and say it wants to you know portray women and not just brush them under the carpet. I mean, it's she, always... she at the very least gets to tell a version of the story. Yeah, um, I think there's there is a little bit more like there's some nuance to it where there could there may have not have been like it's not like a you know. Sean Connery era James Bond film in terms of how it treats women. Yeah, the female character that it focuses on isn't an afterthought. It's just she's an unfortunate character, <laughs> isn't it? It's not really. I don't think it's got anything huge to say about uh, women's place. It's just in this story, there are different takes, and one of them is she's a fucking unfortunate uh, victim and. Uh, all men concerned are dickheads. So, story three, right? What was that? That was a medium. That's medium. Was, yeah. yeah. I really like Japanese interpretations of the supernatural because they're really good at just being really strange and creepy. Also, this is where it's like a TV fucking trial where, oh, we're getting a fucking medium on now. Yes. What's this shit? We don't. We, oh, like how are we going to tell it from the perspective of the dead samurai? The we've got a we've got a car up our sleeves here, guys. We've we've got this wonderful medium. She's got in touch with the the other side and a drain pipe, and is going to. Well, his voice comes out of her, so it appears to work, and it makes me wonder why didn't we get this during like the OJ trial? Oh yeah, why didn't we contact mediums? Yeah. Yeah. The trouble with. A medium, to, you know, you've, you still, if even if mediums are legitimately talking to the the victim, the victim is going to be particularly biased, you, you know, because <laughs> they were killed. What we want to do is talk to the, get the medium to talk to some ghosts that were witnessing the rape and the murder, just some <laughs> neutral parties, like maybe uh, everywhere. Yeah, like a, a small child who died in the woods of, of pneumonia. They are then trapped in the woods forever holding it, and they witness this awful crime. Or maybe not even a child, just a, a different woodcutter had a tree fall on him. He is His ghost is there, and he witnessed it. I mean, what else could you do? You could potentially, you know, kill someone else to find out. Because apparently, this is something we learnt, 
ghosts can't lie is what we established. Yeah. So this is fact. This story is the correct one because ghosts can't lie. And if ghosts can't lie, we could murder people, uh, like murder Mafuni's character, and then he'll be able to tell the version. And, it, and as long as he isn't innocent, which he hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't said he's innocent. So yeah, they're going to kill him anyway. They should kill him, and then he will be forced to tell you the truth. Because ghosts can't lie, and you can just ask him what happened for real. So I don't. Know, it's a very, it's a very tricky wicket. The old asking a medium <laughs> and a ghost what happened, but we do get the version of yeah, the dead a, man. Yeah, this one is that it's it's he's he was so distraught that he committed suicide, um, which is why he's in hell, presumably. How did it go down in terms of him dealing with the bandit? Because in most of the versions, the bandit has to set free the guy to have a, either an honourable sword fight or a pathetic sword fight or whatever. So, did it differ I think much? He just... Did he get free? I can't remember. Now. She, I think, in his version, she tells the bandit, you have to kill my husband now. Yeah, she's a bit of a cunt. In his version. Yeah, because... So... uh, And then she ends up running off and the bandit frees him and is like, oh, that was rough, wasn't it? Sorry. And then then he's left to just sort of deal with it. And then he just breaks down and (laughs) kills himself. Yeah. Weirdly, his version of it is him coming off as, like, the saddest. But I guess that's what you... like. The reason that may not be true is that just he may have just been overcome with self pity. If if the medium is even channeling the ghost, like there's no real, it doesn't go one way or another in terms of like whether that's actually happening or whether the medium's just putting on a show. I mean, there's a few levels, isn't there? On the one, why are we why why are we asking a medium in a court case? Two, if she is uh, contacting the ghost, she not. What are you talking about? That's not a thing. And two, maybe she is because, or three, maybe she is because she's doing the voice thing. So if it, if as we see it, it's it looks it's weird. It's not not like a it's not like someone just like an actual medium in like British TV shows. They just though some woman or bloke does the does a really northern voice and just does the voice of a dead person. Oh, all right, pet. Oh, are you? You know. <laughs> Don't forget Mary the loves dick. Mary loves dick. <laughs> oh dear. But it, it is just completely that was a very sorry, that was a very specific <laughs> most haunted reference. Oh, that's alright. But it is basically Oh, don't forget my shepherd's pie on my grave, you know how much I loved it. You know, it's like You're it's right. just, they are always northern. <laughs> it's just someone who has a normal or a more subtle accent doing a more uh pronounced accent pretending to be uh, a, a dead loved one, but you know. So in this version, at least she does have a weird, non-believable voice. Though, therefore, it's real by sheer unbelievable. No one could do this. It's either a magic trick, or I mean, I don't know. Does the when she tells the version, the only person who can collaborate that it is how the husband would have been is the wife, and she's just told a different version. So, yeah, no, that's the thing. Like none of it is clear, and it's, it's not, not it's corroborated. Yeah, but it's not, so. It's her story's poppycock because it's a medium. That's bollocks. <laughs> we could just throw that out. With the samurai's version, no. The woman's version, uh, you know, plausible but too pathetic, <laughs> like to be real. Like she's. So I think it, a, a lot hysterical. of it is the different. The three main versions we get before we get the final version is 
they're too morally simple versus the last one, which is kind of complicated and you don't really know how to feel about it, which to me makes it the real one because it's like, well, that's kind of how things are. Like, it's it's much more complicated than bad man did bad things, other thing happened, you know. Yeah, no one's the victim or the hero in the piece. They're all sort of uh, tarred with the same awful situation. Abby, what, what, uh, would you, do you agree that the the last version is the more plausible one uh, of the accounts? We should uh, clarify as well. That's the woodsman's version. Yeah. Well, he kind of lied to the court in the sense that... He kept the story to himself, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, he saw more than he said he saw. But he hadn't done anything. But we don't see him in any version. He's sort of omnipotently watching. There's never any sense that, oh, there he is hiding in the bushes. We just see another account. I think we do get a couple of shots that seem to suggest we're seeing it from his perspective in that last story. There's also some handheld camera stuff, which is really interesting for a film from fucking 1950. Yeah, so he's wanking in the bushes. Go on, Abby. (laughs) Well... As Jamie mentioned earlier, the last version includes a really realistic shit fight. <laughs> well, shit sword fight between uh, the thief and the husband, which is inspired. It's one of the best realistic shit fights I've seen for a long time. Yeah, I loved it. Both fights it I might like, be, but this one is... It, this might be my favourite sword fight in a film because of how just all over the place and genuinely panicked the second the fight started and uh, so yeah in this version she says no you guys have to fight i'm gonna watch one of you one of you fucking cucks has to prove yourself to me is basically what it is um and then yeah as soon as he as soon as mifune raised his sword and you could see it was like really like his hand was shaking and then the samurai's was too i was like okay yeah this is what actually happened then Abby, would you agree it was a bit like a wrestling fight as well because some of the sword <laughs> strikes were very telegraphed. It was sort of one of those walk and brawl type make sure I miss. Oh, okay. oh yeah, some of the strikes were weak as oh. piss. Boiler room brawl. Yeah. I, I feel like we did have a choke slam at some point. Maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like someone no, did a goozle. But you, just a remind, slam. you did just remind me that I watched this and the Batman in the same day, and Batman does choke Batman slam someone. In that I, it's because I watched Batman, I was like, yes. I definitely saw a choke slam. Absolutely choke slam someone. <laughs> Sorry. My, yeah. my brain didn't work there. Abby, go on, if you want. Yeah, some of the things were telegraphed, but when we say shit fight, we are more referring to the ineptitude that two normal people would have fighting each other. It was under-choreographed yeah. in, a, in a really... Well done, way. Just normal men, just especially fighting with swords. Because I, I don't know if if anyone else has ever held like an like actually held a sword, but it's it's oddly terrifying when like you feel if like two, the if weight... two people are reluctantly fighting, it's going to be funny and ridiculous. Yeah, but the way you're saying the, the you feel like oh this is too dangerous to be swinging like, around maybe when you, yeah when you when you hold like an actual real sword you suddenly get that it's the same with like actually holding any kind of actual gun once it's like in your hands you're like oh this is oh, fucking terrifying i am so scared <laughs> of this sure. please take it back when two cocks go to war 
<laughs> so yeah, the whole thing of them like hesitantly like clashing swords and flopping around and just and it and the fact that it does end with the bandit does kill the samurai. He just throws the sword like, into him as well. Yeah, but then his reaction is also like, oh, it doesn't look like he's ever actually killed anyone before. Like he's in some, he's in like a weird state of shock that he's actually killed someone. Yeah. And then, uh, what does anything different have happened with the woman at the end? I mean, in every version, the woman isn't married to the the, the bandit, or you know, she's kind of has to. She's on a on a Todd for all of the. Yeah, end. I think. I think they both just bolt. Oh no, she runs off and he tries to chase her, but he's so like fucked up over what he did, he just sort of falls over and yeah. does, and and like takes ages to get up again because he's probably like physically weak from shock. Yeah, that's another good reason to buy into it. Is the way it plays out is very much. It's uh, it's very um, just messy and not like it's, it's not, not like a story tiny little story. Yeah. yeah, and I guess the the other reason is, I suppose, that the woodcutter does ha- doesn't have any motivation to paint them in any, in any particular yeah. light. He doesn't. He doesn't. I mean, he obviously would probably sympathise with the victims, but he he is only really telling the story out of a kind of. I mean, it's like it's a kind of convenience because he's at the start of the film. He's like, "Oh, it's the most fucked up story you you wouldn't believe." He's like, "Fucker, you heard three versions that were all wrong, and you didn't come forward because you nicked <laughs> you nicked a sword or no, it was a dagger, right?" He stole yeah the the it's like a tanto, like a ceremonial dagger, so it's got like a pearl handle. Yeah, right. and that's what the um yeah. This is actually so I like. Once this version has has come out, and the the priest and the woodcutter are having this like mutual crisis of faith, where they're like, "God, everything's shit and awful," and the <laughs> other guy is like, "Ha ha, yeah, it is. Fuck you." Like, it, I I like the take of like, yeah, no, the the because uh, the priest says if if that's true, then the world this world is hell, and uh, the the guy with them says, "Yeah, it is." <laughs> that's it. That's the take. Um, I'm gonna steal from a baby now. Yeah, they hear a baby crying, so the baby's been abandoned in this little building this whole time, and it's woken up, and uh, he gets there first, and they find him just stealing a kimono that had been wrapped in. Um, and then whenever the whenever the woodsman like confronts him, or woodcutter confronts him, and is like, hey, the fuck are you doing? You're stealing from a baby. What? The, like, that's when the, uh, the guy, I don't know, does he have a, like, I don't know if he has a proper name in the cast, no, but yeah, right. whenever he uh, he turns around and says, "Oh yeah, where's where did the dagger go?" And then that's yeah, where the reveal is that like he had he didn't tell the story and get involved because he stole the dagger and like. But I like I really like this resolution of yeah for how like fairly bleak the story has been. I like the way the finding of this baby. Like, I like the resolution that it leads to, and I like that it ends up leading to, a, like, a happy, or maybe not happy, but, like, an upbeat ending that is still fairly grounded. Yeah, well, we got uh, the the sort of, the poor bloke being like, ah, fuck all this noise, I'm nicking this kimono. And then we got the woodcutter, you know, coming to 
to the rescue a bit because he's willing to adopt the child because he has so many kids anyway. And then the priest is like, oh, well, maybe the world isn't so bad if, if you can do no, this. No, before that, right? though, before that, after the uh, the other guy has left, the woodcutter goes to take the baby from the priest, and the priest is like, what the fuck are you doing? You're taking the only, like, bit of good left here after all day. that. And then, uh, yeah, then the woodcutter's like, well, I've already got six kids, so like, what's one more? I'll just and push my the... rice out a little bit thinner. <laughs> and yeah, the priest realises that this guy is kind of thinking nothing of just like taking the baby and adopting another one into his six kids, and he's like, holy shit. That's oh my amazing. god, wow. Yeah. It, Which is me... a... yeah, go on. I just think it's a nice kind of low-key way of balancing out how like rough the, the actual the rest of the story is. I guess. I feel like the priest has questioned his faith a little too. He's heard one grisly story a few times, and he's gone, oh, world, the world is hell. And then he's found an abandoned child, and that's sad. And yeah, then it's like, oh, but someone's adopting it. Hooray, my faith is back. And this guy, you know, he turns on a dime. This is, you have to remember when this was made and when it was set, and the fact that we grew up with access to websites like Rotten.com. Oh, right. So back oh, in the Jay. day... People sure. weren't anywhere near as like they grew jaded up with and... famine and murders and rape and pillaging and all kinds of things. They did, it. but they also grew up with having to help and do something about it, as opposed to being able to look at it on the internet and go, sure. oh, "Isn't that terrible? It doesn't affect me in any way." Back to my whatever else I was doing. Back to my Pokemon Go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I do have a few issues with this, this uh, end to the story. I mean, we've had a little bit of a waiting for God of Beckett type vibe where these people are talking away the waiting process and uh, then eventually a child turns up rather than nobody. Um, and I think having a baby there and wanting to do this thing of uh, there's some good in the world, that's fine. But then there's the question of, well, who the fuck has abandoned a baby? We've just told four fucking versions of a rape and a murder, and somewhere, at least uh, a mother or a father or both have abandoned a child. We're not going to get any of those versions. Somewhere else, well, there's another they... film telling yeah. four different well, versions they... of how a baby got ditched. They reference that too, though, because the, the, the maybe bandit guy who's there stealing the kimono is like, yeah, two people fucking had their fun, had a baby, didn't want it, so they just left it here. The woodcutter's like, no, they left it with a kimono and a, and a charm. They obviously agonised over this decision. So already you are seeing them developing two versions of another story. Oh, so yeah, like, yeah. The, so you could tell it, really, couldn't you? It's it's kind of spinning it out into, you know, what they've done with this one experience is something you could do with a million other things as well. Well, I think it was Kurosawa, again, trendsetter, setting up a sequel in his film, wasn't he? We never saw uh, Rashomon 2. The other reason people went to the city gate was to ditch a baby in years. Well, years I don't know about you, but did you watch all the credits to see if there was a stinger? <laughs> oh, like when uh, Nick Fury recruits the baby. <laughs> I was going to make the same fucking joke. <laughs> Abby, what do you make of this? Uh, I know you're not a massive fan of babies turning up in films to make them entertaining. You're not. You're not. You're, I don't want to call you a baby hater, but <laughs> children in films, you're like, oh god, did this baby revelation came out of nowhere for you, or did it feel like a fitting way to take take the tone up a notch? Well, it's it's more. Was it? Okay, um. 
Machina something. Sorry? Oh, Deus Ex Machina. Uh, it's not quite the same thing, but it's... Deus Ex Baby. <laughs> but, like, it's entirely to make a point, that baby. Yeah. Whilst at the same time being completely irrelevant. It's very strange. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, is it is... What has this got to do? We didn't need... This has nothing to do with it. If the woman had got pregnant from the rape and it was her... Like, if he was tied in in some way. <laughs> but it was just like, the baby slept through this. <laughs> and then... It's just a, it's a really easy way to, like, slot something in that it at least brightens it a little bit at the end. Literally, too, because Chris Howard really does like using weather to partially tell the story. He does. It's been tracking it down, and now the sun is there, and an orphan child has a feeding woodcutter dad, and several brothers and sisters, presumably. But yeah, but you, you, you like I think it's a bit out of nowhere. But is it a deal breaker though? Is it? Did you feel maybe maybe your overall thoughts? Did you feel like this was a good film, or were there problems beyond? Uh, just the baby's there for no reason. I think it's more... It's a think piece. And, like, the rewatchability isn't great because once you've already thought on it once, you're not really going to want to thought on it again. Yeah, like, this is the second time for us. It's been a good while since we watched it, so we had sort of forgotten what the point of it was. But this this time through i think it, it there's hardly there's hardly the endless debate is there it's like oh there's those versions and we kind of all picked the same one for most plausible um i think you can bat around some notions of uh you know narrative bias and so some of the some of the themes you can kind of go into which is you know uh, truth and perception and uh, reliability and i don't know how court cases shouldn't be settled by mediums and talking to courts. Should disagree. Settle, settle. I, I, after watching this, I think we should have a medium in every court case. You only need the medium in every court case. You don't need to talk to <laughs> anyone. Just talk to all the victims of murder, at least homicides and shit. <laughs> There'll be a lot of open and shut cases where people are like, yeah, the person you think shot me, they shot me. I don't know. Also, you can't send ghosts to jail for defamation of character or anything. Like, is there ghost jail? That's a question I'm now thinking. There are more talking points well, than I thought, you know, guys. Ghost jail is there, that a thing. There is There is also the implication of, like, well, if, if they're proving that there's life after death, then why do the consequences of any of what happens? Mean thing. Well, the, they don't think to ask the medium, like, oh, now that you're dead, what's the afterlife like? What's that like? <laughs> he, did, he seems quite miserable and still quite holding on to his uh, beefs from the real world, like, still pissed off with his wife. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of questions about that, I think, but uh, it is a moral piece. It's definitely meant to, it's meant to make you think, but it doesn't make you think, I'll go watch this again and again. Wow, it's very, it, it has a very like it's a fable sort of feel to it. That's it. It's one of uh, it's a better than Aesop's fable. Fable. I did not realize you had a problem with Aesop's fables. 
I think I do. I didn't realise either. But I didn't. I didn't come in with an. I didn't come in going. Oh, it's a bit like an Aesop's fable, you know, the story of this animal or that animal or the frog and the scorpion or whatever. I've straight away gone. He's a can, and let me fucking whinge vaguely <laughs> about his stories. He had it fucking loaded up, ready. I just when I just think they're dumb stories <laughs> about usually to illustrate a point or something. Is the is the rabbit and the hare one of his, or is that just one of the fucking? Oh, I... Don't know. I never really thought about it that much. I always get muddled together as well because they're all kind of fucking a bit like, well, why would this be happening? (laughs) It's basically they're all there to say, don't be a dick, be nice. (laughs) Don't be just don't be jerks, everyone, because it'll it'll backfire. Is the story is usually the fable. Anyway, it's it's a. it's a funny piece, and it also feels like a play a lot of the time. Abby, I think you said when you were watching oh, it. Oh, that's felt probably like, why I like it, isn't it? Because you like plays, even though you'd never go to them. No, I like films that are like plays. So I don't have to, you know, listen to people cough and oh, yeah. get drop popcorn on the floor. Um, Abby, you, Abby, I think you were saying it was a bit like a play, right? It felt very much shot and staged and acted like a play. Is that right? Is that a virtue in this case? It's more just typical of the period because it the sort of language of film still wasn't really they hadn't written the book on it, so to speak. Well, Kurosawa was hashing out for people of the future to copy it. Yeah, this is Mm. this is kind of one of the chapters of that book. Yeah. Oh, now we're speculating about the playtime now, is it? Or the no, metaphorical book? We're speculating about the fictional book that we just invented. Yeah. <laughs> and there's plenty of books on this film and Kurosawa anyway and his movies. I'm sure we could have read one, and yet, nah, have our own hot takes <laughs> off the on the fly with poor memories. Yeah, I mean, it felt its age as well. It felt fifties. This the music at times felt almost uh, like kind of. Arabian, like a kind of Indian or Arabian vibe to the score, which like seemed a lot odd. Of the, like a lot of films of this era, I I often find the music overwhelming. <laughs> it yeah. like it comes in and it's so loud and dramatic, and I'm like, oh, for fucking hell! All right, yeah, there's some like, there's some like drums and stuff in there. It's almost like a soldiers' march, but there's definitely a we are telling an Arabian Nights type tale, which is odd because it's a Japanese story. Um, but it felt 50s. It felt old. Like Some of Kurosawa's things have a kind of, not agelessness, but even the ones that are period dramas that are like uh, about a theme or like to mull over and moralize something, they feel like, ah, a timeless tale. Whereas this one, it felt jankier and older. And it is, I mean, it's you know an earlier piece by him, I guess. It's not quite as refined as he would go on to become. Yeah, plus you've got the fact that the period cameras from the 50s and stuff, the technology isn't quite there, the, the sound quality is a bit weird on the mics. There is a roughness that puts it further back in time uh, and makes it more feel earlier cinema rather than... Uh, you know, by the time you get to the 60s yeah. and stuff, uh, technology is, is a lot crisper, editing techniques are smoother. Uh, this one feels like early 1900s, and it is, you know, it's on that transition mid, it's literally mid 1900s, so the, it's the best of what that chunk of time could do, but still feels its age, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, anything from you, Jamie? What were your final thoughts then? I think I, I do agree with that. It, it doesn't have quite the, 
like I said, the refinement that he would cultivate. I mean, this is still fairly early on in his career as a director. Um, but I can see why it made such an impact because um, it does use a lot of different techniques, both in the way it's filmed and through the storytelling as well, that kind of weren't common and became common as a result. Apparently it was also, uh, or there's speculation that it was the reason that the Oscars introduced a best foreign film category. Um, so is that Johnny Foreigner's got something worth Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, this from this this mysterious Far Eastern land, like, <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I also don't know how true that is because it's just on the IMDb trivia, but like, um, yeah, it's, it's, but I, it is, I see what you mean as well about the, it doesn't quite have the rewatchability mm. that you think it maybe would considering how interesting the premise is. I could, I could see myself maybe watching it again at some point. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I, I appreciate it as a sort of historical piece and an important bit of like, not even pop culture, just cultural history altogether. And the, the way that like different cultures and, and countries started to really influence each other's types of filmmaking and how that kind of ballooned from this era. Um, and also just fun watching Mifune cackle and bounce around like a cartoon man. Yeah. I mean, Mifune, there's better, there's better performances by him. Like he's, he's quite good in, uh, you know, Jimbo obviously, but, uh, in, in, in most of the road, I mean, we saw him, we talked about Hidden Fortress. We, we all enjoyed him in that. And Seven Samurai is, is great, but uh, you know, even in the crime films and stuff like uh, High and Low and Scandal and there's there's a whole host of things where you go, oh, this fucking guy, man. There's something about him. I think Kurosawa knew this guy's the best, and my other cast and crew are, are really good, and they're there to sort of support him uh, in a way. They're kind of utilised in this, like uh, Takeshi in this, the guy who the woodcutter. He mm. is one of the often used actors of Kurosawa as well. He's really great, but he's kind of the support to Buffoon a lot of the time. Uh, and he just, he does sort of sad and, or stoic and just sort of dour. And, yeah, dour and miserable yeah. quite well. Uh, and he's good when he's uh, getting to play basically terminally ill people or just <laughs> sad old men. Um, and I think just generally Mifune has this charisma that's unlike any other. It, it is equatable to Clint Eastwood in westerns and stuff. They are yeah, there's a, it's, one it's one of those B. instances where you come across an actor that you've heard a million people talk about but have never actually seen them in anything and then you do and you're like, oh, okay, I see why everyone is, is fucking in love with this person. Yeah, it's a shame as well because in a way that detracts from how good the rest of the cast are really good. Like, it's some really great yeah. performances. People often talk about Kurosawa's movies, like the visuals and how revolutionary they were, but the fucking actors, he gets the, the best out of them or they were talented people. You never don't believe the characters, even when they're melodramatic, like this film's quite over the top at times, but you, they're all so well formed and well thought out. Each character doesn't just say their lines, they are busy in the character's own life, so they don't just tell a story, they are fiddling with something, or they have their own life going on in the piece, even if we don't know what it is, like the 
the priest in this is is always melancholy and he's like he's always you know the actors are thinking they're not just waiting to say their lines if you know what i mean yeah but they're busy filling out the role they've got yeah he makes sure it. that there's like a richness to all of it and that everybody kind of knows who they are once the cameras are rolling yeah, and it just the, I like the storyboarding has clearly been thought about because all of the shots are set up perfectly, and it must have, it must have been a pain in oh, the ass to make it rain all the time for all these fucking that was, shots. Yeah, they had well. to put they had to put ink in the water to make it show up. Oh, so, um, he must have been a fucking taskmaster. It was, it was such a crew. The crew had to fucking work so hard to make yeah, constant weather for him. <laughs> what a bastard! I did, I, there is one specific shot that I did want to call out as probably my favorite of the film. Um, before I forget, is the there's one there's a, in the medium scene whenever she's whenever the the dead husband is speaking to her. There's one fantastic shot of uh, she's in she's in the foreground, like just her head and shoulders are in the foreground, and the the two the priest and the woodcutter are in the background, and the veil is over her face as she's talking, um, and there's like a breeze blowing, but it never blows strongly enough to remove the veil from her face. It just blows enough to make it move. And it was such a, just, it was, I don't know, it's just a great shot. It looks great. It fit the scene so well. It was really, like, evocative and eerie. Um, that re- that one really stood out. There's a, there's a ton of, like, just things to look at in this film. It's really well shot, but that one in particular stood out to me. I mean, we briefly mentioned Silly Hats in this, and, you know, I mentioned two of the guys, but actually, this woman has the bride, right? She's the bride of the samurai, and she has this big uh, sort of sudden conical hat, not quite conical, it's more sort of flat than that, but, like, a big wicker white hat that has a veil drooping around it, so she's almost, like, in her own private veiled booth of an outfit, and then in combination with the period, like, white clothes. I mean, it's hell of a fucking weird... Hell of a weird thing to wear on your head, but then that could kind of be said of any period in the past. They all wore funny things on their heads or had funny haircuts and funny clothes. Aren't human fashions weird? But I, I thought it was worth mentioning that she had her own silly hat going on. Just because we we're fans of silly hats, that's all I'm saying. Mm. And I think it, it felt like there's a character in fucking Mortal Kombat that dresses like her as well. I mean, Mortal Kombat are always pinching from the best. Yeah, yeah, it's a bunch of, like like you said at the start, it's a bunch of white nerds watching the old uh, Asian films and going, oh, I can just pull all of this out and put it in my thing. Yeah, he must be one of the most stolen from directors, right? <laughs> like, just Oh, yeah. Everyone's having a piece. And he was, you know, earlier, so you're always going to steal from, you're going to steal from the best. Uh, anyway, I'm going to... Uh, run off into the forest and get away from my problems now. Um, <laughs> Gonna go and shit in the woods. <laughs> Emergency shit. Jump off your horse. Try not to pass out and get caught up in a court case involving a medium. Yeah. That's a weird feature of this. I fucking got the shits, mate. <laughs> got the shit. Hi. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. It's so it was just weird. This fucking rapist was like, "Ah, I fucking did it, and it, I killed a guy. <laughs> and I fucking don't care." Like, okay, you realize we're gonna kill you? Ah, too much of a laugh, mate. <laughs> That's me, famous old bandicoot. I'm a little bit, ooh, a little bit, wait, a little bit. Uh. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, uh, yes, that's it. That's it for the podcast. Toodle pip, everyone. Catch us again for another um, shamble of a chat about a. Depending on how long it takes me to finally finish Sekiro, we may be doing a uh, Kurosawa marathon. <laughs> so... <laughs> oh, I'm already ahead of you, man. I've watched fucking shit ton of them, loads of them. This, yeah, I don't know. Some of them, some of them are hard going, but most of them are chef's kiss good. Really, really the master at work. Um, anyway, time to say goodbye for now. Bye. Bye. And Jamie has just uh, ended his life. (laughs) (laughs) What's that last thing? Run off into the woods. Run off in... Yeah, I'm still a fan of the Wild Bunch. Have you seen the Wild Bunch, Jamie? No. The laughs in the Wild Bunch are like... (laughs) (laughs) And everyone in the Wild Bunch, one of them starts laughing. They all start like laughing like that. It's incredible. That's that's a good film. But the laughing is like... Ah, fuck it, you have to turn the volume down. All right, mate. It's a very, very funny plan you have. Anyway, yeah, well, well.